Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hi everyone, my name is Eric Arno, and this is part two of the Nerdlogs Presents Your Stories February 2014 podcast, which features the theme Full Hearts. Uh, we know Valentine's Day has already passed, but you can still get all emotional over these stories and songs shared by our special guests from all of our feelings at once, including Jesse Thurston and Rebecca Lozier, plus other speakers Sarah Schieber, Jeremy Connie, Clayton Margeson, and Mary Beth Smith plus the usual music from me, Claire Friedman, and Dwight Hassler. Uh, we had a great time recording this episode, and we hope you enjoy listening to it. Uh, guys, did you know that the Nerdalogs does lots of stuff besides your stories? For instance, we produce three other podcasts, including the Nerdalogcast, MBSing with Mary Beth Smith, and Talking Games with Tim and Clayton. All of our shows are on iTunes and are also hosted on our website at www.nerdalogs.com, so you should definitely check them out. And we've also been producing weekly comedy videos for the web, and last week our release blew up a little bit. Uh, we even landed on the front page of Kotaku, which was super sweet. Uh, if the idea of Pokemon creationism sounds appealing to you, head over to YouTube and search Nerdalogs, or check out our Facebook page. Uh, you can view that video and our whole archive, and we've got more coming every week. That is a promise. As always, everyone, thanks for your support. Uh, our next Your Stories recording will be March 16th at the Public House Theater in Chicago, so be there if you can. And otherwise, we hope to see you soon. So, one criticism that sometimes Dwight and I get is that we don't do enough hip-hop. Because <laughs> apparently it was too white. I, uh, I don't think we get that criticism. I, all, I, I legitimately do. Jando says it. Uh, this one, Steve Fersh has mentioned it. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> aggressively black Chris Geiger. <laughs> Alright, so anyway, this is um, maybe a slight step in the right direction. And do you want to say something? This is your pick. It's got the word heart in the title. <laughs> Uh, Heartless, Kanye, right? Okay. Uh, do you want to give me the tempo? One, two, three, four. In the night I hear him talk, coldest story ever told. Somewhere far along this road He lost his soul To a woman so heartless How could you be so heartless? How could you be so heartless? How could you be so cold as the winter wind when it breathes, yo? Just remember that you're talking to me, though. You need to watch the way you're talking to me, yo. I mean, after all the things that we've been through. I mean, after all the things we got into. Yeah, I know there's some things that you ain't told me. I did some things, but that's the old me. And now you want to get me back and you gon' show me. So you walk around like you don't know me. You got a new friend. I got homies in the air. Still so lonely in the night I hear him talk The coldest story ever told Somewhere far along this road He lost his soul To a woman so heartless How could you be so heartless? Could you be so heartless? How could you be so Dr. Evil? You're bringing out a side of me that I don't know. I decide we weren't gonna speak so. Why we up at 3 a.m. on the phone? What is she so mad at me for? Homie, I don't know. She's hot and cold. I won't stop, won't mess my groove because I already know how this thing gonna go in the night. I hear him talk. Coldest story ever told Somewhere far along this road He lost his soul To a woman so heartless How could you be so heartless? 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 How could you be
you be so heartless? How could you be so heartless? Talking, 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 talk. Maybe let's just knock it off. They don't know what we've been through. They don't know about me and you. I know you can't believe I could just be even wrong. I'm gonna take off tonight. Somewhere far along this road, he lost his soul to a woman so heartless. How could you be so heartless? 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 Now, Let's do stories. Sarah Schieber. Sarah Schieber! So, this last year, something started happening to me. I've been getting, like, stuck on songs. Um, I don't know how else to put it exactly. I'll get stuck on a song, and I just listen to it over and over. I don't think that I'm unique in this, but... Um, it's the first time this has ever really happened to me. And when I say over and over, I mean, like, I got stuck on an Adele song for, like, two weeks. It's kind of a dark time. Uh, <laughs> um, there was another time there was a song about overcoming the zombie apocalypse with a time machine that transported flying dinosaurs. I'm not sure what that was all about. Uh, <laughs> but... Um, I just, I keep getting stuck on these songs, and I was thinking about it uh, after, you know, my, like, 20th time with the Zombie Time Machine song, <laughs> and uh, the truth is, for quite a while, until fairly recently, I wasn't really feeling much of anything, and I started doing that again, and when you haven't really been feeling for a while, and you start again, you don't really know what's going on. It kind of freaked me out. <laughs> and I was getting stuck on these songs because they kind of helped me figure out what I needed to feel without me being able to put words to them right away. And the only way I can kind of draw a metaphor, analogy, whatever for this is like, Dumbledore had to drink the potion before he could get to the Horcrux. <laughs> like... <laughs> Those, those feelings are going to be waiting for you no matter what, and you're going to have to feel through them until you can get to the other side. Um, you can run away from them for a while, but if you ever want to keep moving past them, you're going to have to feel them. And in my case, I have to listen to Adele 50 times. Uh, <laughs> so I got stuck on this song a couple months ago. Um, I listened to it, what I like to scientifically refer to as a metric crap load. Um, and I'm ready for the other side. So we're going to play it. It's Stubborn Love by Lumineers. One, two, three, four, one, two.
<laughs> Apparently. Thank you very much, Sarah. And Sarah. Sorry about that. I'm bound to forget a song every once in a while. Um, I'm going to chalk that up to just human error. Just like Data, I'm learning to be human. Anyway, <laughs> let's get from all our feelings at once. Jesse Thurston. <laughs> My name is Jesse, um, for those of you who don't know me. Hi. Um, I had a really good day recently, and I wanted to tell you all about it tonight, because it seemed appropriate. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I went to the Garfield Park Conservatory. Yeah. Anybody ever been? You got some fans? Um, yeah, it was a really wonderful place, and it's a really cool place that exists in this city. I, didn't, I had no idea. Um, I went down there with my friend and roommate, Jake. Um, we woke up early on Saturday morning. And got breakfast bagels and coffee and took the brown line to the green line, which seemed auspicious somehow, um, considering we were going to spend all day looking at plants. Um, and so we got off the green line and uh, went into the conservatory. And so the conservatory, if you haven't been there, is a bunch of greenhouses that are all attached to each other. Um, and they're all full of plants. Um, thousands and thousands of plants, and that's what it has to offer. Um, but it's really a wonderful place. Um, we saw thousands of plants. Um, some of them were really cool, and some of them were not cool. Um, personally, I was not a fan of the aeroid room. Um, aeroids, if you don't know, are those sort of waxy, leafy flowers with ha- have a little like penis thing pointing out in the middle, um, and they have them in like hotel lobbies and uh, dining halls of hospice care facilities and things like that. Um, They certainly don't deserve their own room, in my opinion. Um, But we did see some cool plants. Uh, We saw the century plant, which only blooms once every hundred years. Or so the myth says. If you want the real story, you'll have to go to the conservatory yourself. Uh, We saw the cinnamon tree, uh, which is where we get cinnamon. Um, and I asked the guide who was perched by the tree, where does the cinnamon, where's the cinnamon, where does the cinnamon come from? Uh, and she said, it's the bark. And yeah, so the tree, uh, the, it's a normal tree, but the bark is cinnamon, which is cool. Um, uh, we spent, we spent a lot of time in the, the, the entryway, uh, which has seven dozen different kinds of palm trees. Um, that's their claim to fame. That's 84 palm trees. I know you all did that math faster than I did, but 84 total kinds of palm trees. Um, some of them are really huge. Some of them are really small. We saw the coconut palm, uh, which is one of the most useful plants in the world to humans. It's just true. Um, coconut oil, coconut water, coconuts. Um, the palm fronds are really wide and good for sheltering yourself, and the bark is thick and useful as well. Um, so, so lots of palm trees. We hung out in the fern room together, and it was like we were back in dinosaur times. That was really cool. Um, those were just some of the highlights. Um, and I was thinking about this experience after I had left and why I had enjoyed it so much. And I think in part it was because it was something so out of the ordinary, um, outside of the daily routine of my life. I think those mix them up days are really important to have every now and then. Um, it was important also um, because it was good to see nature, I guess, um, what's been so dreary out. And it was nice to be reminded that nature comes in colors other than brown and gray. Um, and I was a bit of a nature freak when I was a, a kid and I really loved lemurs and it's always been my dream to go to Madagascar and save them. Um, so, cause they're dying fast. <laughs> That's true. Um, full hearts. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it was, so it was good to, uh, be around, uh, uh, real tropical plants. Um, but more than anything, I think it was just really great for me to spend a day with my my friend, my bro, uh, having a little bit of an adventure. Uh, we were like Lewis and Clark in there, but with no Sacagawea, and all of the plants had been expertly labeled for us ahead of time. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong, I love girls. I um, 
grew up in a family full of girls. I have two sisters, and uh, my mom raised me. And what are moms but big grown-up girls? You know, um, I. I, I love performing with girls. Clearly, the rest of the folks from this group are all women, and they're brilliant and honest and wonderful to work with. And some of my best friends in the world are girls. They've really been there for me in hard times and good times. Um, and I also love having sex with girls and uh, <laughs> dating them and holding their hands and uh, buying them presents and you know learning about them and exploring their bodies and things like that. Um, but the fact is, there really is no substitute for spending a day with your bro. And I think I think that it really is something that I don't give enough weight to in my life. And I think that your friendships with the, the men in your life, or at least for me, I'll just speak for myself because I don't know, I, I, I think it's best for me just to not look at it. Like if I, if I look at it too hard and focus on that friendship too hard, then it begins to feel like contrived or too mushy or something. And it's best if we just walk around and look at plants together. Um, I mean, the plants were cool or not cool. Um, some, some of them only bloom once every hundred years or so they say. Um, but that was all it took. And uh, Jake is a really important person to me. And I am I'm about to leave Chicago um, for, on a semi-permanent basis. Um, and he is somebody that... Boo. Um, he... Uh, uh, full hearts. Um, uh, he... He is somebody that I'm really going to miss, and I haven't really known how to express that to him um, because he means a whole lot to me. Um, and I think that really the best way that I could do that was to spend a day with him among the flora. Um, <laughs> and um, so if you have... <laughs> whatever, the plants. Um, <laughs> Nerdlocks. Um, so um, I guess my suggestion is that if you have a, a bro that's important to you, that you take him out um, and you spend some time with him uh, and that you treat yourselves to a little brocation because it's possible that if you're like me, it's not a relationship that you give enough uh, uh, time to. So that's all I have to say. Man, I just met you and you're leaving already? What's the story here? Um, best of luck wherever you go next, certainly. That's New York. Best of luck in New York. Thank you for filling that in. So who booed that? Come on, full hearts. Don't boo New York. Hey, hey. Coming up next, we have Jeremy Connie. Hi, guys, and thank you for clapping extra. Uh, so in A Link to the Past... <laughs> and thank you, Tim, for bringing up the elephant in the gr- room for me. I mean, that's obviously everybody was thinking about it, right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> so, in a link to the past, after you get the master sword and you have full health, you can swing your sword and project an energy, swirling energy beam that knocks back enemies and does damage. Now, this is a big deal, you guys. <laughs> Because, I mean, the whole story and the whole game starts out as you're a kid, you're waking up, woken up in the middle of the night and told on to go on a hero's quest, you get banished into a dark world by a wizard, and you don't have a lot. You got a wooden sword and a wooden shield, you've got some items that you pick up along the way, you get some wands, but everything takes mana, and everything runs out of stuff and energy... Shoot arrows and they're all gone. But this is the first time in the game that you get the ability to defend yourself from far away. No longer do you have to go up to enemies and swing your sword and risk your life to do damage to them. You can sit back and you just go for as long as you want. And it is so fragile of an existence in the game because as soon as you get knocked off full health, as soon as you don't have full hearts... You don't have that ability anymore. You have to go right back to the drawing board and you have to slug it out with each enemy. Man to man, sword right in their face. And to me that speaks about how easy it is in our daily lives to 
miss the times when we're most happy. I think it's something that we all sort of have in ourselves and a part of human psychology that we just notice the bad times that we have much more often than we notice the good times. When we're having a great time, having a good time, it's just, oh, yeah, of course, well, whatever. And then we only really notice it on the backswing. After we've had it, we're like, oh, I was really happy then. That was a really good time. But at the time when you're experiencing it, you might be self-conscious. You might be taken out of the moment because you were worried about something, worried about what people think about you, worried about if you're doing what you were doing is right. And I wanted to take the time to share a story of some time that I felt like that. Uh, I was I took a trip to uh, Big Sur, California, which is a a big park in the middle of California, out on the West Coast, in case anybody didn't know where California was. Uh, and this was something that I'd been planning for a while to get ready for another trip, and I'd been telling a lot of people about it, and I was telling myself that I was really excited about it for a long time, because it was a big moment for me. It was the first time I would be traveling alone, and I would be going taking landscape photography, something that I've been very excited about, but I don't get a chance to do very often. And I got out there, and I was, I was most oftentimes just concerned with how I was supposed to be happy at the time. I mean, it didn't really help that I was sitting alone in restaurants because I went on the trip alone. But I was just most oftentimes checking Facebook and trying to tell other people that I was having a good time. More concerned about the fact that I should be having a good time than actually having a good time. And I remember even thinking to myself, I would look back on this trip and, and think I was having a good time, which was incredibly redundant. <laughs> the pinnacle of this was I had the opportunity to go to a hot springs spa. I had heard from a friend about something called the Assailant Institute, which is more towards L.A. than it was towards where I was. And it was this hot springs, it was this chunk of land that was bought and uh, like a getaway sort of uh, place where people go to meditate and look on life and sort of improve themselves. As a big corporation, people went there to like better themselves and really look back on life. I was using it because I could get in for 20 bucks and go to a hot springs. <laughs> which was a great opportunity in my opinion uh and it was the the deal was you you could get in uh for 20 bucks instead of hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh because they had a special where on Sundays at midnight or 1 a.m. something super late uh you could reserve ahead of time and then pay that small fee and just experience what they had to offer just experience the hot springs and i was like yes of course definitely I didn't really put together a lot of the logistics. I was just, let's do it. I want to go try it. So uh, it came Sunday night, and I had been super tired because I woke up to take shots of the sunrise, took a nap, traveled down an, an extra hour outside of where I was shooting to go to this place that was in the middle of no technology. There was literally half an hour before getting to this place. My cell phone had no reception. Uh, getting even closer to the place, there were just no lights at all. And to begin the night, I was sitting outside of this institute, this place, in the dark, amongst about six or seven other cars just parked on the side of the road. No lights, no nothing, waiting for someone to come up and get me and take me down to this place. It was really creepy, mm -hmm. and I was really nervous because it was something that I hadn't, I hadn't done before. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't even know if I was doing it right at all. Uh, luckily, someone did come up, and everything went according to plan in terms of they flashed a flashlight, and I was like, okay, they're over there. <laughs> I went with them down this really steep hill and checked into this institute that was for hot springs. 
about eight other strangers went with me to, and we were told all very much to stay quiet. So we were like sneaking around this something that looked like a campground, but filled with like people that were really concerned about meditating. <laughs> and we were led down to this bathhouse, and everybody was getting naked. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, no. <laughs> I brought swim trunks. I bought that day. I bought swim trunks that day. Because I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get naked. So I felt stupid because everybody else was getting naked. And I'm like, hmm, this feels okay. <laughs> and I get into my own bathtub. Uh, that is the way it worked was it had like uh, which really surprised me I, I was thinking hot springs okay it's going to be carved into the side of a mountain and you'll have this big pool natural pool where you go sit in with everybody and it'll be like a communal experience and you I'll get to talk with other people and I'll feel less nervous when I start talking to people no it was a room in the basement with like eight bathtubs <laughs> standing bathtubs and a hose would come into the tub where you could turn it on and it pumped into hot spring stuff. And I was like, this is a little disappointing. Uh, and I got into my own bathtub looking onward at this big stone four-person-sized jacuzzi sort of thing. And I was like, I want to go into there. That looks awesome. That looks closer to what I was thinking. But I was too, uh, like, in my head going, well, I've chosen this bathtub. <laughs> this is where I've chosen to reside for the rest of my time here, so this is what I'm going to do. Other people got there. I can't do that. Never mind. And slowly but surely, I started to, like, look at what I was doing for myself and, and unpack my nervousness. I took off my swim trunks, uh, and then eventually as people got out of the tub, I, I got into the big tub myself, uh, and it was, it was the most nerve-wracking <laughs> five feet. <laughs> that I have experienced in a long time. <laughs> Where I went from my little safe tub to the big jacuzzi thing. And at, when I got in there, I was just fine. I forgot about all the things that I was nervous about. And I forgot about what people thought about me. Because I was now just doing it. And I really like the times when I feel like I'm just doing it. And I feel like a lot of people do too. And I would encourage people to just... Stop, if you can, stop worrying about things so much and just go out and do the things you want to do. Thank you. Hi, guys. You heard Jeremy. Everyone get naked. We're finding a hot tub. <laughs> Show over. All right. Our last guest from All of Our Feelings at Once, Miss Rebecca Lozier. My dad, his name is Jeff, uh, he is 60 years old, and he's been best friends with Lou since they were both 14-year-old freshmen at John Bound High School in Queens, and their other best friend is Rich, and they met him in college, and uh, back in the 70s, like right after college, they all kind of wound up uh, marrying each other's like siblings and stuff, <laughs> uh, is I guess the short version of that story. Um, so so my cousins and my brother and I are basically the product of like a sitcom, like clicky coffee house that like married itself. Um, my family, uh, my family, what more can I tell you about us? Um, my family is really into vices. Um, Everyone either really likes to drink uh, and talk about it, or smoke weed and talk about it. And when we get together at parties, that it all it all happens, and people talk about drinking and co make, making cocktails and brewing beer and uh, and and all that. Um, and really, the only kind of vice taboo that we have in our family is cigarettes. 
And, uh, and so really only at, at family parties, you'll occasionally hear, you know, you'll occasionally hear someone being like, Hey, by, by any chance, do you have, do you have like a cigarette? Do you want to go outside for a second? Oh my God. Yeah. I could really use a cigarette. You, you know, so we'll have like groups of two or three people out on the porch yeah. sneaking cigarettes while other people are hitting a bong like 10 feet away, just <laughs> openly. So in May, uh, my uh, mom and my aunt threw a party for my dad and Rich, a joint 60th birthday party at my parents' home on Long Island, and everyone was there. It's a very, very small house, and just dozens upon dozens of of aunts and uncles and cousins and family friends descended upon this house. Um, And Lou, of course, was there. And Lou is very, very cool. He's also 60. He's... uh, He's just the coolest. He he knows more about current music than uh, anyone does, than anyone younger might. He always starts a big, giant conga line at every wedding, and he does it with this mix of winking irony and genuine glee that is half hippie, half hipster. So we uh, so we're having this party, and uh, after a while, the cousins we all go into the office to smoke some of my brother's weed. It's really, really strong weed, and even people in the family who don't smoke know that it's super strong weed because <laughs> they can see us. Um, and uh, we're in there for a few minutes, and we hear a knock on the door, and Lou opens it up. And he goes, got room for one more? And we go, yeah, of course, man. And he's carrying a martini glass that is empty save for one damp uh, twist of uh, lemon zest. And uh, so we all smoke a little bit. We pass it around. And then we go and join the party. And five minutes later, I'm in the kitchen. And uh, I hear a crash. And Lou f- falls down. He's down on the ground. And he's wearing sunglasses. And I can't tell if his eyes are open or not. But he's down, and and a few of us kind of start freaking out. We go, Lou, Lou, are you are, are you all right? And then slowly he starts to move, and he says, Oh, my, I I uh, thought the chair was over there, and I I sat, but there was there was no chair. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay, all right, it's all cool. And a couple people were freaking out a little bit, but they they calmed down once they saw that. So about ten minutes go by. I'm in another room of the house, and the party is still happening. And my cousin Lee runs in, and she goes, Call nine one one. And I know instantly what has happened. And I get my phone and I, and I dial 911 and everybody else, she goes, everyone has to call 911 and everyone starts calling 911 and we start to hear like screaming and crying and he, I, we run past the kitchen and he is down on the ground. There's like 10 people hovering above him just like looking and, uh, about 10 of us go out on, on the front lawn and we're all on our cell phones just walking around and each of us is getting the same message from the 911 dispatcher which is, okay, we already got, okay, yeah, we have an ambulance coming to that address already. We already heard, okay, all right, 60-ish minutes, yeah, all right. <laughs> So they had been inundated with these with these calls from us, and uh, at this point, you know, there's 20 people hovering around Lou in the kitchen, and I'm outside. Those of us who have called, we're all outside, just shaking. We don't know quite what's going on, and before I can say to Morgan, uh, you know, ask her if there's any chance that she maybe has a cigarette. Uh, she, she goes up to my brother and she goes, look, no one, everybody knows that this is not your fault, but you gotta hide your fucking drugs because there are cops coming. <laughs> so he does that and just then, uh, a cop car pulls up and an ambulance pulls up and the cops start coming out of their car and they've got all the, everyone has tools and big baggy things, it seems like. Everyone's bulky. Uh, like the Transformers walking into my house. Uh, and there's there's EMTs, and they're pulling out the stretcher and the wheelchair, and there's, you know, 15 to 20 people crowded around Lou, and I'm just outside, and, and I, I don't want to be just another person in the kitchen not doing anything, so I just, I kind of sneak around out, out to the backyard, and the people in the backyard have no idea that any of this is going on. <laughs> There is like a medical slash legal crime procedural happening 20 feet away. Because I, I would like to remind you, this is not a big house. This is a very, very small, small, small house. And I, I would like to say I think that that is uh, basically the greatest uh, party hostessing feat that my mom and my aunt could have ever pulled off. It was amazing. It was like just there's all like this shit going on, and then we run back. It's like do 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 do. It's like the craziest. So, um, so, so I, I go inside, and I, I, I don't really want to be involved with the chaos, but I don't, I don't want to be uh, useless, or I, I don't know. And my cousin Morgan, she is being awesome, and she is uh, galvanizing people and organizing people. Okay, are you sober to drive? Because you know the ambulance is going to take him, but we need more people to take his family into the car. You know, we need cars to follow them to go to the hospital. And are you sober to drive? Okay, are you ready? Because you're going to go in there, and, you're, and she's organizing it. She's on fire. I 
pick up the dog just to keep him from attacking anyone or, you know, yipping, and kind of just kind of do one of these cartoony backtrack things up the stairs in the kitchen because uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been really, really stoned in your childhood bedroom while cops and EMTs and your entire extended family are all crowded around. But you might want to just grab a poodle and hang on for a bit. Um, so... So that happens, and as the EMTs are coming in, there, you know, and there's there's crying, and there's you know, because people are like, if you're freaking, we're freaking out. We don't know what's happening. Um, they start putting him into the wheelchair, and uh, you know, the stretchers are coming, and they're trying to get into the kitchen, but there are too many people hovering around. There's now thirty people just hovering around, staring at Lou. And even one of the EMTs goes, oh, yeah, because we don't got enough people in this kitchen. That's what we need. We need some more people in this kitchen. Um, so they even are like, come on, guys. Um, so uh, <laughs> so we eventually uh, we, we get them all, all loaded in. And uh, in the interest of honesty and for just medical reasons, his wife, who's a nurse, says, okay, he had a bit to drink. He also smoked weed. And according to my father, later the guy, far from arresting anyone, just did one of these. Just kind of <laughs> rolled his eyes because there's another baby boomer who thinks that he can keep up with the young kids. <laughs> so, uh, so they take they take Lou out and he he goes to the hospital and we find a couple people who can who can follow and and um, fortunately the story is very anticlimactic uh, <laughs> in that he's fine. He was dehydrated and apparently. <laughs> And apparently had gone for a run that day, and it was hot, and had not eaten breakfast, and had had like two drinks, and <laughs> so that will happen. Um, and uh, it is a very anticlimactic story, and and for that as a storyteller, I, I apologize. Uh, but the reason that it occurred to me to uh, talk about this incident when uh, the theme is full hearts is that. You know, my family may be weird and we may be very embarrassing in a lot of ways. And I certainly think it's quite embarrassing that, uh, that Morgan had to, that in a, in a party, she, she had trouble finding a single 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60 year old who was completely sober enough to drive. These are all embarrassing things. <laughs> These are all terrible things. But I have to say, I think for myself, if I make it to 60 and I'm still very close with my high school best friends and I am still doing too many drugs at their house parties and passing out as a result and I have 15 people calling 911 on my behalf and hovering over me, I think I'm okay with that. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Um, the other half of the Tim and Clayton duo, Clayton Marguson. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right, cool. Uh, this is not a story about me getting molested when I was 14, but it's going to sound like it at times. So, uh, where to begin? Um, no, I was uh, friends with this dude who was super religious. Uh, I'll say real names because there's no fucking way he still <laughs> tries to keep in contact with me. Uh, his name's James Cornegie, and uh, <laughs> we played like football together. He was a cool guy, and in eighth grade, so I think 13, 14, somewhere in there, um, he was like, hey, come and see a movie with me and my two female cousins, and uh, I don't remember what the movie was. I think maybe one of the Mission Impossible movies. I don't know. And he was like, come see this movie, and then, like, you can come over to my house afterwards. And I was about to go to the beach. Uh, I'm from Raleigh, North Carolina, which is a couple hours away from the beach. So we were like, my family's going to go to the beach the next morning. And I was like, cool, just pick me up from James's house. And for some reason, they were like, that's fine. Uh, even though, in all honesty, I'm like, logistically, like, why the fuck would you agree to that? Uh, it's just like, oh, yeah, like, I'll just go stay with this friend. And then you go out of your fucking way to pick me up. I don't know why my parents love me so much, but they do. Uh, so I am over, uh, like, hanging out with James and his cousins at this movie. And his older cousin, who's like 17, 18 years old at the time, was really into me. I do not know why. Uh, and this girl was fucking weird. And, like, I'm, like, big-time nerd. I, like, was watching a lot of uh, Gundam Wing was really big at the time. <laughs> 
But I did not. I did not think I'd meet a girl whose actual biggest crush in the world is like Lieutenant Zex from Gundam Wing, a fucking cartoon character. Like this was real, and she was like really into it. Like told me stories about like masturbating to him, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like even in my 14 year old brain, I'm like, that's pretty fucking weird. And she said she also was like bragging about how she could do all the voices from Pokemon and stuff, and I'm like, all right, cool, cool, cool. You're a lot older than me. Like it feels like, but you're real. It's like way more into anything than I was. So I was like, okay, cool, cool, awesome that you're so into this stuff. But I feel actually a little like out nerded by you. Um, and uh, so she was like really talking to me a lot, but I didn't really pick up on the signals because I was 14 years old and believe it or not, not great with women. And uh, so when we went over to James's house to play some Mario Kart. Uh, and we were sitting, we were in James's room and me and James were sitting on the floor and Sarah and Mary, his two cousins were sitting behind us kind of like laying on the bed or whatever. Uh, no like lesbian stuff or anything, but like they were hanging out. Um, <laughs> it's again, the story is about sex, you guys. Uh, just so we know, but I do not get molested in this story. Just so we're clear. Uh, <laughs> So we're like playing, me and James are playing Mario Kart, and they would like, Mary would play sometimes, Sarah wasn't into it, because I guess she was gearing herself up for what happened next. I'm in the middle of playing Mario Kart on the 64, and I just feel this weird, wet thing behind my left ear, and I'm like, what the fuck? And like, Sarah is just licking the back of my ear incessantly. Like, does not stop. And, like, you'd think after, like, two seconds and being like, you know what, this kid, <laughs> this child is not into this, you'd probably quit it. But uh, instead, she just kept doing it. And I was, like, not really, like, sure what to do. So, because I could have turned to James and been like, hey, man, your cousin's licking my ear right now. Do you want to handle this? Like, you know, but... <laughs> didn't occur to me and so i was like i don't want to embarrass her and i'm certainly like super weirded out and her sister her sister mary figures out what's going on she also feels really awkward and doesn't say anything so now there's three of us who know what's going on and james has no idea and we're all and i'm just like trying to play mario kart like just eyes forward buddy just pretend nothing's happening and then she actually oh this is the fucking this still skeezes me out big time she whispers into my ear she's like Tonight, while Jimmy is sleeping, and then like sticks her fucking tongue into my ear canal, and I'm just like, okay, what, 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 what the fuck do I do now? Like I had no idea, and it's like, okay, so now I've been threatened more or less with like, <laughs> like a sexual act. Uh, and I didn't want it. And, uh, like, I mean, I kind of did. Like, I don't know. Like, you're 14, you're a virgin, you're like, well, I mean, well, we could try to play ball. I don't know. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> but, uh, like, but common sense kind of overrode that with, like, nah, 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 this is too weird. She loves Lieutenant Sex. Uh, so, like, eventually her and her sister leave, uh, so that Jimmy and I can go to sleep. I said, Jimmy James is the same. Jimmy is another name for James. Uh, so I said, James, I'm like, dude, like, lock your door and, like, big time, I've got a weird thing to tell you. And I tell him about how his, how his uh, cousin was licking my ear, and he's like, oh, that's weird. Uh, as if it's, like, not that weird. <laughs> it's like, oh. Odd behavior. And I'm like, well, fuck yeah, what are we gonna do? And he's like, I don't know, just go to sleep. And I'm like, <laughs> which in hindsight is all we could do. Uh, so we go to sleep and I don't actually sleep. I lay awake all night <laughs> trying to figure out a couple things. I'm like, one, do I try to have sex with this girl? Because in all honesty, it did enter into my mind a couple times of like, dude, you could have sex. You could have sex. And it's like, yeah, but like, at what cost, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> I decide, I'm like, I just got to get out of here. It's too weird. So I decide I'm going to, like, get up at, like, 5 a.m. My parents are coming anyway early, so I'm just going to call them and be like, you got to pick me up 
as soon as possible. So I do that. I wake up. I, like, have slept in my clothes. I just, like, uh, <laughs> slept. I'm, I'm totally awake all night, lying on my back, like, so in case someone comes in, they can't. Uh, what, is she going to, like, sodomize me? I don't know. But like, I'm on my back, like, alert, you know? And, uh, like, I, I'm, like, I wake up, immediately call my parents, uh, and I'm, like, hey, come pick me up right away. I go. I open the door. Now it is, like, 5 a.m., and she is standing there. She she is standing outside of the door, and I don't realize it, so I actually walk into her because <laughs> I'm like, ah! and like, so her wake up time was in like the four thirty range because she has put on new makeup. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck? And so she, I, I run physically into her, which you know, smooth. And uh, she is like, <laughs> here we go, I guess. And just, like, locks her mouth around mine in the most, like, aggressive makeout session and one-sided makeout session I've been uh, part of. And then, again, it's like, dude, you could be having sex. And I'm like, yeah, but it's like 5 a.m. in my buddy's house. And my parents are on the way to take me to the beach also potential, like, you know, illegal thing happening. Uh, so I sort of, like, disengage, and I'm like, hey, all right, well, see ya. <laughs> and she was like, am I ever going to see you again? And I was like, there is such a low chance of that ever happening. But what I say is like, sure, yeah, that'd be cool. And I take off. And uh, then the funniest thing is, as I'm leaving, I see her sister, like, waking up, because I guess there was some noise or whatever, and her sister, like, walks out, and she sees me, and she goes, like, I am so sorry about her. (laughs) And I fucking, uh, I think my response was, like, yeah, it's cool. And then she goes, like, do you ever, like, want to hang out sometime? And I was, like, and two things went through my head. One was, like... What? What? Like, no way this is actually happening. And two was like, oh, fuck yeah, right? (laughs) Like, fuck yeah. Uh, So I dated her for a week and it was weird. All right. That's it. Thank you. You have tons of talking games with Tim and Clayton every Tuesday uh, on iTunes. You have a big old back catalog to catch up on as well. Our next guest has been on that show talking about Kingdom Hearts, I believe. Mary Beth Smith. Oh, so do I. And uh, we had a blast talking about it. And it has hearts in the title. Topical. Uh, cool. <laughs> I have never been in love. I have loved so many. I feel like I love damn near every person that I meet. At least I truly try to. But I'm talking about that gut-riching, can't-live-without-it, heartbreaking love. The only time that I've ever dropped the L word in a relationship was with a guy I was dating when I moved to Chicago. The long distance and some other factors caused me to break up with him, but... I would have made it work if I really had loved him, right? Uh, (laughs) I truly didn't try to make it work. Uh, I keep hearing that once you really love someone, you just know. Uh, But what if it's like colors? What if red looks different to me? And I never know because I can't see red the way that you guys see red. What if I feel romantic love in a different way? What if I've been experiencing it this whole time and my love looks different and less intense and and less heartbreaking? I don't think that's the case, but uh, I guess I just wanted to air out a hypothesis. I am an incessant, annoying optimist who tries not to let anything out of my control affect me negatively. Maybe because I've never experienced heartbreak. Uh, Let's explore that idea of out of control, though. Uh, Is not having fallen in love out of my control? Um, I recently got the advice that if I'm interested in someone, I should ask him out. Is this a thing that women do in successful relationships? Because that's scary. (laughs) Uh, I 
like a confident, ballsy bitch, but uh, for years I was a wolf t-shirt wearing, saxophone in the marching band playing, math-loving super nerd who thought that I'd never even kiss one of the laundry lists of guys that I had a crush on when I was growing up. And somewhere inside this cardigan-wearing, baseball-watching, whiskey-drinking Uber woman, uh, <laughs> uh, that nerd is still really sensitive and terrified of being turned down and being super embarrassed. Uh, which is why I am well aware guys don't ask girls out all the time. Or, you know, just people in general. That's why people don't go around just asking people out all the time. Right? No one gets asked out, right? Okay, guys, we'll talk about it later. Uh, <laughs> so, uh... So I'm working on that. I, I'm working on that confidence. I, I'm working on, um... Uh, uh, getting over that. Uh, and I don't think I'm quite ready yet. Um, and I'm working on figuring out if I have some side, some kind of uh, crucial dating flaw that I'm not aware of, but I haven't figured one out yet. And uh, I'm working on how to play the ukulele, but I don't think I'm ready to do that in front of anyone except for my uh, adoring roommate who puts up with it a lot. Um, so, uh, I asked Eric to accompany me on a song, um, and I'm really glad that Sarah brought up this idea earlier, the idea of getting stuck on a song, um, and last month I sang a song, uh, with Eric playing too, uh, because I had been really stuck on that song, and I think this is a song that I also, uh, get stuck on a lot, and I'm not sure why, um, it just sounds nice, uh, so if, uh, Eric Garneau would join me. You all should stand as well. You all should. <laughs> no. um, guys, let's give it up for everyone who told the story tonight. Thank you all so much. Um, that's wonderful. If it's your first time, thank you so much for coming. If it's your 20th time, thank you again. Uh, thanks to Chris and Kevin, Public House Theater. And again, apologies to Sarah for uh, fucking up her song the first two times. Third time's a charm, you know what they say. Um, Um, your heart will be even fuller, you guys, I'm talking to you, after we perform this, this song. Oh, no chairs even, yeah. Yeah, this is... Fuck chairs, right? I might die at the end of this. So, I love you all if I don't make it. Clay's gonna make it. Remember how, remember how when we did Heart, you were like, oh, I don't know if I can sing this, then you killed it? No, I don't remember that. They remember. Me too. Yeah. See yourself through our eyes, Claire. Oh! 
Anyway, we do this the third Sunday of every month, so if you liked it, feel free to come back. And uh, here's a song. Turn around. Every now and then I get a little bit lonely and you never come around. Turn around. Every now and then I get a little bit tired and I listen to the sound of my tears. Turn around. Every now and then I get a little bit nervous that the best of all my years have gone by. www.nerdalogs.com Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.